Hey everybody, this is Keith Loy. I'm the founding senior pastor of Celebrate Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and this is our podcast. I just want to say thank you for joining us, and it is my prayer that this week's message will truly encourage you. Enjoy. Good morning, Sioux Falls. It was a little chilly this morning for me. If it looks like I'm uh, nervous and all red-faced, it's actually sunshine. So I prayed the last couple of days, I was watching the weather and I, was, I saw storm warnings and I called my doctor and I was like, can you call in a prescription of Xanax because I'm about to freak out. I'm afraid I'm, afraid I'm going to get uh, snowed in in Sioux Falls. Um, that's joking, but I was pretty stressed about it. Because uh, one time I was uh, doing ministry up in Halifax, Nova Scotia and a tropical cyclone came in during the winter time and dropped about 12 feet of snow. Uh, and I did get stuck there for two weeks. The airport was shut down. It was terrible. Uh, but anyway, it's so great to be with you. It's such an honor. Thank you, Pastor Keith and uh, his wife, Kay. They've been so wonderful. Pastor Reed, the whole church. I, I really, I, I feel so at home here. And I just want to say thank you so much. There's, there's so much love and, and servant hearts here. And and people just willing to do whatever for the kingdom of God. It's, it's, it's really refreshing. And I've had the opportunity, I don't know why, I'm just, I'm just a country boy from southeast Ohio, but God has given me the opportunity to travel the country and be in some of the, the just the, the biggest and best churches. Uh, and it's just amazing. But I come here and like the worship team, don't you love this worship team? I mean... I tell Pastor Chris, I was like, you guys are at that level. I mean, I'm not just saying that. I mean, just the vocals, instrumentation, uh, even in the back, the guys, the EQ in the room, it's just good. You're just really blessed here. So much is going on. Pastor Keith, in my, in my book, he's a world-class communicator, doing a great job. And uh, yeah, amen. Just, just a, it's, it feels like being home. The very first church that uh, I was on staff at uh, was just like this. I mean, we, we started out in a little storefront building, uh, and then we went to a little Baptist church that closed its doors, and then we bought an old drive-in theater that had shut down. Now, how cool is that? Uh, still had the old projectors and everything. Like, it was just a perfect facility. First building we built was something like this, just a metal building. Uh, and then just kept growing until, you know, we, we were about the size of this church. So there's so much about being here that feels like being home. And it's funny how God will take you uh, back that way. Pastor Keith backstage, he was telling me, he's like, now, don't let him out early. <laughs> you know, he's like, he's like, don't, don't ruin it for me. You know, because he, he's telling me how if, if you can go to a Vikings football game, right? And spend three, three and a half hours, nobody's saying like, oh man, I missed the buffet at Golden Corral, you know? And uh, I'm thinking, I'm more like a 20-minute preaching kind of guy. Now, when I teach classes as a professor, I mean, I can go a pretty solid hour without taking a breath. But in churches, I'm, I'm really mindful of the fact that, you know, lunchtime sneaks up on you, right? You get a little hungry. And when I told Pastor Keith, I was like, but don't worry, don't worry, uh, because I've got this special eye watch, all right? But, but the truth is, it's not charged. So I have no idea what time it is right now, 
or what, I, what time it will be when I'm done. We got these as a gift at the university. They were so gracious, and I thought it was pretty cool, and I guess my old watch wasn't good enough, but uh, we got these things, and, and, you know, it comes with a little factory charge, right? Well, I started wearing it. I'd never had one before, and all of a sudden, like, it, it just starts vibrating on my wrist, like, constantly, and I'm a little OCD, so any, any little distraction, it's like, squirrel, 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 right? <laughs> and, I mean, and, and then, of course, you know, I'm at the age where I need reading glasses. Anybody there? You, you feel my pain? Like, I, I think I've owned 200 pair of Walmart readers. I finally got smart and asked my doctor, I was like, can you put, like, my reading prescription right here at the bottom? So the tops of these are clear glass, but the bottoms have a little prescription in them. And so, so finally one day, I, I, I'm like, why is this watch vibrating? It's driving me crazy. 120 beats per second. It was my heart, the heart rate thing going off. And I was like, then my OCD really kicked in. <laughs> I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm going to stroke out and it's going to be the end. I better, I, I'm, I'm emailing my kids like, hey, my money's in this bank account, you know, your beneficiary here. I mean, it was freaking me out. And it was happening every day. But I wasn't going to go see a heart doctor because I might actually have a problem and have to do something about it. And so I just let the thing go dead. It hasn't been charged in over two years. That's a true story. I'm not joking one bit. So I just wear it because it's cool, right? So there you go. True, true story. Oh, goodness. God's good. And um, if I, if, if, it says he, he takes delight in using the foolish, right? Well, there you go. That's my story. So uh, a couple years ago, I got connected with Pastor Keith. It was an unbelievable God connection. Since then, we've, we've become good friends. But my first visit here, uh, they were... I'd never been to Sioux Falls, really never been into these cold weather states because I prefer to stay where it's warm. So if I get a chance to go to Southern California or, uh, you know, Minnesota, you know where I'm going. Uh, But I I got here and and Pastor Reed was taking me on a tour of the the church and I, you know, came in the sanctuary and I'm like, because see, I grew up in and around the Wesleyan church, Right. So I know what the Wesleyan church is like through and through. I grew up in a little Wesleyan Holiness church. I had friends who, who, who went to the Wesleyan church in town. So in my mind, you know, Pastor Keith gets connected to our executive vice president, learns all about what we're doing. Next thing I know, I'm on a plane to Sioux Falls. I mean, just boom, boom, boom. That's how we roll. And so, so I, but in my mind, I'm thinking Wesleyan church. Now, you know what I'm thinking, Right? Right? Little church, hymn books, and organ, you know, all that stuff, right? I'm not being critical, I just, that's all I knew. That's what I grew up in. And so I come in the sanctuary, and I, I look out, and I'm like, man, this, this looks a lot like the church I used to pastor at, and it's pretty cool, and I'm checking out all the production elements, and I was like, man, it doesn't look like a Wesleyan church. So then they take me into the kids' area, and I'm like, I bet they use orange curriculum here. This is just like all the big <laughs> art churches I go to and, you know, Elevation down at Vu. I mean, it's like, where's the little sign that says 120 people last week, right? <laughs> that, that little wooden sign, you know what I'm saying? 
Like that's some barometer for how the church is doing, you know? I'm like, this, this isn't, something's, not, something's disconnecting here. And I, I was really thrown off by it. And then, because the kids area is awesome. Like who wouldn't want to bring their kids here, right? And that's the way it is. Like one of our, one of our sites, we just love Christ Fellowship down in Palm Beach Gardens, Pastor Todd and Julie Mullins. You, you go into their kids area and they have like slides, like kids go down these tube slides, like an indoor water park or something, into a big thing of balls, and then boom, they're into the children. I mean, it's like you guys had different elements like that. I was like, I'm like texting Chris, I'm like, are you sure this is Wesleyan Church? I'm like, so then Pastor Reed takes me upstairs to the offices, right? And then, then my mind gets completely blown. I start seeing these stuffed animals everywhere. Disney characters. And I like I got a bad childhood memory from the eighties of Chucky and the Gremlins. So I don't I don't do well with stuffed animals. I mean if they're cute little, you know, bears or dogs that that's fine, but things that look like they could come alive, that really creeps me out. Okay? So so already, nothing is working in my mind. Like, you know, this doesn't look like a Wesleyan church, doesn't smell like a Wesleyan church. And then I see these Disney characters, and I'm like, I don't know what's going on. And then, then Pastor Reed turns me around, we, we, and then all of a sudden, I almost, I, if I would have had my eye watch on, it would have went off. I see this massive head of an animal with the biggest horns I've ever seen in my life. I thought I was going to get eaten before I got out. I mean, and there's this big mound of, of something that Pastor Keith, I guess he's a big hunter, right? Yeah, so, so, I'm getting, so I'm getting to know Pastor Keith in this context, but it didn't take long for, you know, once I finally got to sit down with him, I was like, ah, oh, man, we're going to be best friends. Like, we have so much in common and uh, so much. And he started talking about how much he loves football. And I don't know if you know this, he loves Ohio State football. We have that in common. We're both Ohio State fans. He'll probably like jerk me off the stage here any second. Uh, another thing we have in common, we, we both think we look pretty good for our age. At least that's what we tell ourselves every morning. The only difference is I use just for men, but that's all right. Uh, and then uh, the, uh, the one thing we really do have in common is we share a love for the Old Testament. Like we both geek out over the Old Testament uh, it's so relevant. You can't understand anything without understanding where you've been. And the Old Testament is all about the journey of God's people. I think the Old Testament gives us the, the best picture of our lives. And I love teaching Old Testament. I love preaching out of it. Uh, I have two or three favorite texts I'm going to do today. And, and we're starting a new series, right? It's called something like The Hidden War, right? It's on this coffee mug, which is super cool. I take this with me. Got Red Bull on there. Watch out. He, he, he really says, he's like, if you don't preach at least till 2 o'clock, you're never coming back. So anyway, well, let's pray. God, we're, uh, we're so excited to be here. I love these people. I don't know most of them, but I love them. And I know that's because the love that you have for them and you do that to us, God. I mean, it's just amazing to me when you meet God's people. And I've interacted with so many 
this weekend, last two years. This is such a great church. You're doing such a great work here. And I'm so humbled to be a part of it. I really am. I don't, every day I wake up, I don't know why, why you use, use me to do anything, but I'm grateful for it. And we're going we're gonna to do our best um, to bring this text alive. This is an important message. That war within, uh, God, we, we need you today in so desperate ways. All of us. We're all hurting and suffering and we have challenges. And I pray that as these words are spoken today, God, that we walk out of here changed. I mean really changed. Like you would, you would speak to every person in here in such a clear and concise and profound way. And that we would see this scripture, this passage, this story just come alive, God. Because it's our story. <laughs> this is our story. And I pray that every word from the Spirit of God would fall on good soil and grow into a beautiful, beautiful plant. And every word that's spoken in the flesh would just fall on rocky soil. Let it go away because it just won't be worth anything. We ask this in the name of Jesus, your Son, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Turn with me, if you will, to Judges chapter 6. Now, this is one of my favorite passages to preach out of. Every, every preacher is just like anyone else. You know, you got a favorite product. You got something you like, you know, inside and out. You're always going to use that, right? Well, preachers the same way. We usually have our, our three or four or five favorite messages and I have probably preached at least 50 sermons out of one, this one text. I mean, it's just packed full. And when they told me that we were starting a new series today called That Hidden War uh, and Winning the Battle Within, I was like, I know exactly what we're going to preach on today. And it's just, it's such a cool text. There's, it's, there's so much gold in here. We're going to just dig and dig and dig and see what we can do today uh, to make it come alive. So Judges chapter 6. The Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. That's a pretty long time, isn't it? Seven years. The hand of Midian prevailed over Israel. And because of Midian, the Israelites provided for themselves hiding places in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. For whenever the Israelites put in seed, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. And they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the land as far as the neighborhood of Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel. No sheep, no ox, no donkey. Everything. Gone. For they and their livestock would come up and they would even bring their tents as thick as locusts. So anytime in the text you hear that word locusts, a lot of people, right? Neither they nor their camels could be counted. So they wasted the land as they came in. Thus Israel was greatly impoverished because of Midian. And the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. Now, I'm going to get just a little bit academic on you just for a few minutes. Hang out with me for a little bit. We cannot properly interpret scripture without understanding the context in which it was written. We've got to look at the linguistic context, which means we've got to dig into the Hebrew here. We've got to examine the social cultural context. What was going on, right? We've got to look at the historical context. What was happening in history at this time? We've got to look at the political context because, you know, human nature hasn't changed a whole lot, right? Uh, this is amazing. And we've got to look at the religious context as well. 
Because just like we have many, many, many different belief systems and religious movements and cults and all sorts of things, well, guess what? They existed back in this time period too and everywhere in between. So we've got to look at the total context of a passage before we can really properly interpret it and then make application to our life. And so I want to show you a couple things here as we do that. Uh, So Joshua had just led the nation of Israel into the promised land. So you know the story, right? God raises up Moses. You know, the people of Israel leave Egypt. They wander around in the desert. Uh, God has a lot of work to do for them. He promises them a a wonderful land they're going to possess. takes a while to get there. Uh, And that's kind of where we're at in the story. Judges begins about 200 years into that process. It's a pretty long time, right? God's not in a hurry. So just tuck that away as a little seed. He's going to do his work in his time. Our job is to be patient and submit to what he's trying to do. Problem is, some of the tribes of Israel that were supposed to possess the land, got a little image to throw up on the screen for you here, uh, they didn't quite do what they were going to say. So again, I, you know, I usually show something like this in class. This is, this is the, the Israel at the time of, of the judges. And you see all those names, right? See Simeon, Judah, Reuben, Manasseh, Gad. Who, who, are, who are those people? Help me out here. Yeah, the 12 tribes of Israel, right? So God had promised them that land. You know, Egypt's down here somewhere, right? They wander around the Sinai Peninsula, and finally they get up on the east side of the river, and that's where Joshua 1 opens up. We talked about that this weekend in in our conference, which was so awesome and and amazing. Uh, And so they, they were instructed now, time to enter the land and possess the land, but the problem is some of these 12 tribes failed to, to get all the, the pagans out, basically. Now, sometimes the Old Testament, it's, it's hard to read because there's some things that God had instructed Israel to do that wasn't, it, it wasn't real palatable, right? Like, there's people living there. Israel wasn't quite counting on that. And they happened to be giants, right? coming in from off the sea, much bigger, stronger. And this was a, this was a very coveted piece of land. I mean, that, even today, like, I mean, for centuries, people have fought over Israel. You know, you ever wonder why? Well, one is God gave it to his people. But there's some other reasons, too. There's 400 miles of coastline there called the Levant. And, I mean, I live in Florida, so I know the importance of coastline. What do you get when you have lots of coastline? Ports, trade, commerce. Like, I mean, it can really make, make a, a nation or a land very rich because of that. It's also a land bridge between three continents. So it's a, it's a crossroads, right? So all sorts of stuff was happening there. Also, the Fertile Crescent is there. Uh, and so, you know, when, when the imagery of the land flowing with milk and honey and figs and dates and olive trees and all this amazing stuff, right? I mean, it was a very fertile land. People wanted it because everything to the east and south is desert. You know, you can't grow anything. So the, people were fighting over this land for a long time. Problem is, by the time Israel, the nation, gets there, over 2 million people, you know, they're, they're like, uh, there's this, like, city on the other side of the, the river called Jericho. We're not, we're, we think we'll just 
We're, we're, we're going to wait a while, right? We're not, we're not sure God's promises are going to really come through. So that's the context of what's going on here. And, and we get to the book of Judges, and we're now a, we're a couple hundred years into this, and we've got the 12 tribes. Uh, they've possessed the land that they were promised, but the problem is God had told them, you've you got you to drive, drive everybody out. Now, that's a, that's, a, that's a hard thing to hear, right? But it was because of the unbelievable paganism, immoral, evil, unbel- you know, modern-day movie kind of stuff going on. And God did not want that stuff to contaminate or influence Israel. No way. I mean, he was, he was trying to restore proper worship, Right? And, and bless them. But to do that, they needed to follow his commandments. But some of the tribes failed to do that. And so because of that, Judges chapter 6 opens up, and we'll find out in a few minutes, exactly what had happened because they failed to do what God had instructed them to do. Now, let's go just a little bit further. In, in Judges chapter 6, let's go to verse 11 and 12. Now we're going to get into the, the heart of what I want to talk about today. Judges 6, 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak at Oprah, which belonged to Joash as his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press. Learned in seminary, teach my students, carefully read the text. Carefully, every word, lift it up, examine it. So already... There should be some things here that are sticking out to us, right? An angel comes and sits under an oak tree. That's interesting. Talk about that in a second. Gideon was beating or threshing out wheat, not on the threshing floor, but where? The wine press. Something's definitely wrong with that picture, all right? Pretty sure he was in the wrong place. And the angel appeared to him and said, the Lord is with you, you mighty warrior. I love these obscure words and phrases. First words, I always look for them. First words to Joshua when I I talk Saturday morning or Friday morning, can't remember what day it is. I was like, first words to Joshua, Moses, your servant is dead. There's such significance in that. There's significance in this as well. Angel of the Lord said, you are a mighty warrior. Gideon answered and said, but sir, interesting translation there, if the Lord is with us, if, always look at the ifs, if the Lord is with you, why then, if and why, then has all this happened? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our ancestors recounted to us saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? Now, I don't know about you, but if an angel appears to me, I'm probably not having this conversation. But Gideon's young enough, which we're going to find out in a second, he's, he's like challenging the angel. He's like, what's up, bro? You know? Like, you know, we've heard all these stories about how, you know, Yahweh, you know, delivered us from Egypt and all the cool stuff that happened. It, but here we are living in caves and all our food and livestock is being consumed by a foreign people group. And, but, 
now. Now Keith always, Pastor Keith always said he likes big butts. He said that the other day. I fell out of my chair. I, mean, I was like, I was like, what did he say? Huh. He's like, I like big butts. I mean, I'm trying to like, so every time I come here, there's something I got to resolve, right, in my head. And he's like, always look for the butts in scripture. I was like, oh, okay, whew, got that. But he's right. That's what, we're, that's what we learn in, in higher education. That's why, that's why these classes on Tuesday night are so important. I'm telling you, friends, there's so much to learn. You know, you can study the Bible on your own, and, and there's a lot you can learn. But, but there's deeper levels of learning that can take place when you learn uh, how to read the scriptures in Hebrew and you learn the context and these, these clauses and grammatical structures that are all over the text. These were really smart people that wrote this stuff, okay? Especially when we get to Paul's writing in the New Testament, but that, that'll be for the next time, assuming I get invited back. We'll see. But now the Lord has cast us off and given us into the hand of Midian. Then the Lord... Big shift here, right? We started out in verse 11, it said what? Now the angel of the Lord, verse 14, then the Lord turned him. There's this interesting shift in the Hebrew. Some Bible scholars believe this is Jesus, like straight up. It's pretty cool. There's pretty good evidence of it. Isn't that cool? Then the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. I hereby commission you. And Gideon responded, but sir, how can I deliver Israel? And here, here's, the, here's the whole key to the entire text. My clan or my family or my tribe is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. So the angel comes, perhaps the Lord Jesus himself, and says to Gideon, first words, you are a mighty warrior. Not, hey, sorry about your luck. You know, I know it's been seven long, hard years. You know, you're, you're trying to get a, enough wheat together. You're hiding in the wine press from the Midianites just to make a little bread cake, try to survive another day. You know, God, no, none of that. First words out of his mouth to Gideon, you are a mighty warrior. Now, the first time that I read this text was a long time ago. I got, I got a certain image in my head, Rambo. Okay? I mean, if, if you're under the age of 40 or 50, all you know is old Rambo, right? But I'm telling you, when I was growing up, I ate more tuna protein shakes and raw eggs. I was 165 pounds, ripped, working out. It's because we were all trying to look like Rambo, right? Because he, you know, he was all over Muscle Fitness Magazine, and like he was our hero, right? He was a warrior. That's the first thing that came to my mind. Angel's telling Gideon, hey, you're Rambo. But then I, I've taught this text to my students in the Old Testament class, and they looked at me like, and I finally said, why, why has everyone got this like, deer in the headlights? Look, they didn't know who Rambo was. So for those of you who are younger, I thought maybe he might help you out a little bit. It might be like for you, if you saw 
Captain America or Wonder Woman, right? But that's the image, okay? That's what the, that's what the angel of the Lord is telling Gideon. You're a mighty warrior, right? So God saw Gideon as a warrior, but how did Gideon see himself? Catch that. Don't, don't let it go. I mean, it's, it's rich. But sir, how can I deliver Israel? My clan, my family, my tribe is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. That's so significant. The reason is, is because the first principle for winning the war or the battle within is we have to see ourselves the way God sees us. If you're going to win the battle that's raging inside, and we all have them. I have them. You have them. If you're human, we're struggling with something. And it's probably happening up here, and it's probably impacting our physical health. But we have to see ourselves the way God sees us. And that's why I believe the first words to Gideon were, you are a mighty warrior. Because Gideon saw himself as weak, right? And, and so I started to dig into this, and as I thought about it, when he said, my clan or my tribe is the least, right? I was like, yeah. I mean, we all know the, the tribe of Judah, right? Yeah, and we also know the tribe of what? Levi, they're the priests, right? A couple other tribes, but Manasseh? Who's, who's the tribe of Manasseh, right? So... They're only mentioned a couple times in the entire Old Testament. We don't know much about them. We know a little bit. But Gideon, Gideon knew. He wasn't from the tribe of Judah. Here's the connection. The angel is saying, you're a mighty warrior. He's like, no, 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 no. No, that's, that's Judah. The, 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 the soldiers come from the tribe of Judah, right? Not Manasseh. You, you got the wrong guy here, God. There's no way I can deliver Israel. But God says, no, you can, because I see you as a mighty warrior. He also says, I'm the least in my family, which probably means he was young. He was the youngest, probably a teenager. Really, God? You're going to use me? The first principle to winning the battle within we have to see ourselves the way God sees us, not the way that we see ourselves. It's so important. And I know about this. Like, I get it. I mean, I, I, told, the, I told the crowd the other day, I'm still that, there's still that little kid inside of me that, that is just trying to not be a failure. There's that, there's that part of me that's just still so unbelievably insecure. And it doesn't matter what I get to do that should build me up, I still inside feel like, oh, I'm just not good enough, right? And we could talk about why, and we could explore the spiritual aspects of that, we could explore the psychological aspects of that. But that's why I think all through the pages of Scripture, God is constantly affirming us and saying, like, you're a joint heir. Like, you're, you're, a, you're part of the priesthood. You're a mighty warrior. I mean, all through scriptures, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. I knew you way before you were even born. You have a destiny. Why does God have to keep saying these things to us? 
Well, I believe it's because that, that when humanity fell and sin entered the world, we, we lost so much more than we can possibly imagine. We also kind of lost our identity. If, if God says all these amazing things about us, then why are we all so afraid, insecure, and, you know, afraid to take risks like Gideon? I can't do that, God. I'm the, my, I mean, my, you, know, you know where I live. You know my story, right? I can't do that. But God says, yes, you can, because the way I see you is so much different from the way that you see yourself. It's a little bit, this, this, this identity thing, I think that Gideon is going through, it's a little bit like a, a cross-section of a tree. Uh, my, my son Joshua, he's <laughs> named him that for a reason, <laughs> Yeshua, but kind of like pronouncing prophetically on him. He'll get there someday. Um, but he, he's, he's into nature. He's, he was a wildfire fighter. He's a rock climber. Uh, he's a kid that everything that he owns, I'm not kidding, fits in his backpack, right? And he's in his mid-20s now. Uh, but he's taught me some things about nature and conservation and uh, trees. And I, I got a picture here of a sequoia tree, a cross-section that's really interesting. And, I mean, we all, I mean, I always knew those rings represent what? Each year, right? So you can kind of tell how an old, but he told me some other interesting facts about what these rings can reveal. He said, you can look at a ring and you can see what year lightning struck that tree. You can look at another ring and you can see what year it had some type of grub or insect infestation. In other words, all through this, and you can kind of even see some of the different textures, they can tell that that tree experienced different traumas throughout its lifespan. But it's hidden by that beautiful exterior bark. And you never know until you cut a cross-section of it and examine it closely. But you can, you can tell the years that it went through some things. And when I, when I learned that and I kind of combined that with, with Gideon's story and, and some of the identity challenges that we have because we, we just don't, we don't believe what God says about us. And sometimes it's the enemy. He's the father of all lies. He's, he's definitely a part of that. He exploits this like crazy, right? But we all go through things throughout life that, that chip away at that God identity that he created us with. And it's our job to get our way back to it. And that's why God pursues us. And that's why God is telling Gideon, you're a mighty warrior. I've chosen you because you think you're weak. I've chosen you because you think you're too young to do this job. And that's how God sees us. So if you want to win the battle within, you got to start seeing yourself. I have to start seeing myself the way that God sees me, not the way that I see myself when I look in the mirror. So important. Let's look at chapter 6, verse 28. We'll get into our second principle here. I have no idea what time it is. We still good? Mom pays for 2 o'clock? I hope so. <laughs> I want Pastor Keith to be proud of me. Uh, chapter 6, verse 28. When the townspeople rose early in the morning, the altar of Baal was broken down. So now we're, we're going to see like what was really going on. And the sacred pole, which was probably an Asherah pole, uh, I won't go into it, but probably the, the goddess of all sorts of immoral sexual stuff, 
uh, beside it was cut down, and the second bull was offered on the altar that had been built. So they said to one another, being the, the people, who has done this? Like, who would dare cut down the altar of Baal and remove the Asherah pole? Now, that's kind of weird. These are, they're supposed to be serving who? God. But you mean they've created a, a little shrine and temple to the pagan gods. Now the pic- picture becomes more clear, right? What happened? 102 years, 200 years before, they failed to drive out all the, all the influences that God told them to get out of their lives, right? And exactly what happened is what God said would happen. But they were upset, right? Because they had kind of, uh, we call it syncretism in the academic world. They, they had maintained some aspects of worship of Yahweh and also brought in a lot of pagan practices as well. God doesn't like that, by the way. And he'll let the Midianites come and beat up on us to get our attention if he needs to. So sometimes when we suffer, you know, it's not always God, but sometimes God will allow suffering to come in our lives because he's trying to get our attention about something. So the key is, how can I suffer well and through this and learn what God wants me to learn, come out the other side and be more who he wants me to be? That was free of charge, by the way. That's not even in my notes. After searching and inquiring, they were told, Gideon. Oh, man, Gideon. He's starting to see himself the way God sees him. He's starting to believe it. Just a little bit, but he's starting, right? Gideon sneaks in at night, the text tells us, before this verse, and tears down the altar of Baal and the Asherah pole. And the townspeople said, Joash, bring out your son that he may die. They were going to kill him. I mean, this was serious stuff, right? For he had pulled down the altar of Baal and cut down the sacred pole beside it. Principle number two for winning the battle within. You can't win if you don't play. You cannot win if you don't play. When Gideon received the word of God that you're a mighty warrior, he had to deal with some insecurities and fear. Is not, that, that's us. That's a perfect picture of us. I know God has told me to do things, and I, I said, so no, I can't do that. I, I just can't do it. Well, why can't you? Because it won't work. I, well, why won't it work? Because I can't deal with failure, or I'm too insecure, or I'm too, too afraid. What is God calling you to in this church, in this community, maybe somewhere else? Got, got to see a bunch of that this weekend at the conference. It was unbelievable. People standing up going out to plant churches. I cannot believe what's happening in this church. There is a renewal movement happening in the Wesleyan denomination through this church. I, I just can't wait to tell everybody about it. Everywhere I go, I'm going to tell them about it. It's, it's so cool. But Gideon has to first get rid of the idols. You can't win if you don't play. You can't win the game if you don't play. You can't be all who God has called you to be if you don't take some action. So Gideon knew the first thing he had to do, he had, he had to get rid of this, this pagan worship that was going on. And he knew it would cost him his life, but boy, when, when you start to believe who you are, the way that God sees you, it gives you some courage. You're willing to take some risk. And so he has to get rid of the idols. But he had to. 
That was the first thing he had to do because that's what God always needs us to do, always commands us to do. What is it in our life that is keeping us from our destiny? Settle the self-image issue, see yourself the way God sees us, but what else is around? What else? Is, what have we let creep into our lives? Maybe it's not the, the worship of Baal, but maybe it's something. And I don't need to preach a sermon on that. You know what those things are. I know what those things are for my life. We've got to consecrate ourselves before we can actually do the work that God has called us to do. So what in our lives, what, what needs torn down? What do we need to stop doing or otherwise keeping us from going forward? Take steps forward and take risk. That's what we have to do. You've got to take that next step. It's a scary step sometimes, right? But we have to take it. We have to take it. Verse 36. Then Gideon said to God, In order to see whether you will deliver Israel by my hand, as you have said, I'm going to lay a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is a dew on the fleece alone and it is dry on the ground, then I shall know that you will deliver Israel by my hand as you have said. I just love this part, right? You, you see Gideon going back and forth here, don't you? Right? God says I'm a mighty warrior. No way. I, I mean, I'm, you know my family. You know I'm young. I'm here hiding in the wine press. I can't do that, but he starts to believe, and he gets some courage, and he gets in the game, and he starts playing the game, and he takes some risks, and he takes some steps forward, and he does the unthinkable, which he knows probably result in his death, but then he, he kind of comes back, and he's like, okay, well, I'm not sure. Let's re- <laughs> I'm not, God, did you really say you were going to use me, right? So again, the, the interaction he's having with the Lord, is, it's unbelievable, right? First, First, he's like whining, like, you know, why won't you do what you did then now? I'd be afraid to say that to God after all the stuff I read that he did to people and, you know, prior to the book of Judges. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. That's why they tie a rope on on the ankle of the priest when they go into Holy Holies. If they mess up and and the bell stop jingling, people just pull pull the dead guy out, right? I'd be a little afraid to talk to God like that, but, but Gideon, he, maybe he's too young to know better. I don't know. But Gideon is saying, okay, I, I, I think I get it. I, I, I think I see myself as a warrior and you're going to use me, but, but let me just make sure. <laughs> let, me, let me just make sure. So he, so he puts God to the test, and this is where we get our idea of putting a fleece out. If you, you never knew, you probably heard that before, right? You're trying to decide what to do, you're not sure what to do. Put a fleece out, right? That's, that's where it comes from, this text right here. So Gideon says, okay, so if that's really true, I'm, I'm, I'm going to you know, take my knife out and cut a little piece of, piece of wool out and lay it, and if it's, if it's dry, and then, of course, God does the miraculous. God puts up with us, you know? He's long-suffering. He wants us to get there. He's our biggest fan, right? He's not going to give up on you. John Wesley said he, he's the hound of heaven. He's going to pursue us. If, if, if he's called us, he's not going to give up. Don't give up on him. Take those risks. Don't be afraid to, to pray risky prayers. Don't be afraid to take risky steps in the kingdom. So then it happens the way it does. And so then Gideon asks him to do it again, but just the opposite. Finally, Gideon is convinced. 
So what is happening here, I ask myself? Gideon is learning to trust God. That's what's happening. He first had to see himself the way God saw him. And then now he's learning how to trust God. That's, a, that's tough. That's really tough. I mean, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I don't have any problem being vulnerable. I, I don't know that I, I really trusted God for a lot of things in my life until the last couple years. Do you know, you, you can love somebody and not fully trust them. I, yeah, that's true, right? I knew I could trust God for my salvation and I, I had all that settled. But I, I wasn't sure I could really trust him for my future to help me through all these things going on in my life. And it was the last couple years, just I've experienced some devastating loss. And I'd be happy to share it with you after service, but I mean devastating. Like, I didn't know if, like, I mean, I, I don't know how I'm going to get through this day. I don't even know if, like, if life is worth living anymore. And I, I, I learned that, wow, I got to, I got to trust God. Like, I didn't think I would ever be able to teach again, preach again, none of it. I mean, I, I was literally in my head, the enemy was just like taking full advantage of all my insecurities and fears, right? I really, I started, I started to think, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to go like get a job, at, you know, just fill in the blank to try to live because I'm done. Devastating loss. Nothing that I did, just things that were out of my control that happened. But I had to learn to trust God. That his promises for my life and for your life, he's going to see us through it. Just like he did Gideon. And when you, when you start to trust God, like you trust your best friend or your spouse or whoever it is that you trust the most in your life, you know they've got your back. Man, you can, you can start to believe once again who God says we are and what we can actually do. So he can be trusted. But a lot of times what's going on in our head, can't trust it all the time, right? Because the enemy is the father of lies and he, he loves to take take those little things that are going on, ruminating around our head and just make us believe them. But it's not true. And Gideon is going through this process and I love it because he's being so honest and vulnerable with the, with the angel or God, you know? He's just like being completely honest. I can't do this. There's no way. I'm not a warrior. I'm not from the tribe of Judah. I can't get rid of the idols. They'll kill me but he starts getting the courage because he's building his trust. And then he puts out the fleece of wool because he's still working on it, right? Which is such a great picture of us humans, right? But God is patient and never believe that he is not pursuing us. He has a destiny for each of us, a calling on our lives. And if we don't see it fulfilled, it's because we're not working this process that we see in this text. Because we have to do our part as well. We have to do the hard work. 
We've got to press in. We've got to learn to trust God. And we've got to learn to take risks and do the things that are sometimes risky. Principle number three for winning the battle within. Found in Judges chapter 7 verse 2. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many. So we are fast forwarding now. Now now Gideon, he believes who God says he is. He's learned to trust God. He's learned to take risks. He's taken steps forward. He's taken ground. So now it's time to, to defeat Midian and drive him out and repossess the land that God had given him. He's taken, he's taken control of his destiny. Right? That's our part. God's not going to just do it all for us. We have to be a partner with God in this. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many for me to hand Midian over. So Gideon does what we would all do, right? If I'm going to go up against the Midianites, I'm going to recruit a big army, right? As many people as I can. And I'm going to call the Pentagon. I'm going to get Tomahawk cruise missiles. I'm going to get the latest laser-guided weaponry. I mean, I'm going to have, I'm going to, I'm going to get a big army, right? That's conventional thinking. But God says, nope, you got too many people. So now the tables are turning. God's messing with Gideon now. What's God will do that? Too many for me to hand Midian over to you. Otherwise, Israel would become boastful. So see, there's this interplay where, where we've got to learn to trust God and we, we've got to reclaim our identity in Christ. But we've also got to learn how to do things God's way, not our way, not our power. Because God does not want us to boast that we did it. It was him doing it through us. We're simply earthen vessels. Israel would become boastful, saying, my own power has saved me. We can be arrogant, prideful. I am sometimes. And every time I am, God says, nope, not happening. <laughs> and he'll allow something to happen in my life that'll knock me down about 10 notches. I'll be just like Gideon. I'll be <laughs> sitting in some place I shouldn't be, you know, scared to death. Or like King David in the cave, right? Pressing in, leaning in. Okay, God, what is it that I need to learn? I'll, I'll, as, as the old preachers used to say, take me out to the woodshed. That's what I heard growing up. Some, I don't know, probably not a good idea to plant that seed with parents these days. <laughs> Therefore, proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, whoever is afraid and worried, it is re to return and leave Mount Gilead. So God says, tell this big army that you've assembled, if you're afraid, go home. How many went home? 22,000. <laughs> I mean, I could kind of get that. I mean, I've been watching the Midianites. They're all like seven foot tall, you know, fully armored, looking like, you know, Norwegian warriors. And, the, you know, and we, we, don't, we don't have anything. We don't have any bows and arrows or spears or swords. We're, we're basically farmers. Yeah, I think I'll go home. Thanks for the out. 
22,000 went home. 10,000 remained. So that means there were, Gideon had assembled an army of 32,000 people. That's pretty legit. That's what I would do. Get as many people as I can. Try to outnumber the enemy, right? Verse 4, the Lord said to Gideon, there's still too many. I'd be like, now I probably would start talking to God like, are you kidding me, God? Like, you, there's, all right, I believe who I am now. I get it. And I understand that I needed to learn to fully trust you with my life. Everything. Everything in my life. No matter what in my life crumbles and disappears around me, I can learn to trust you. But if I'm going to do this work, I need some stuff. And now you're telling me it's, I, I can't use it? He's like, yep. That's exactly what he says to us because he wants us to learn how to fight his way. Then the Lord said to Gideon, verse 4, I love this. This is so cool. The people are still too many. Bring them down to the water. So it's like a job interview here, right? This is the ultimate test. Again, take the ones that are left, take them down to the water. And so it shall be that he of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, he shall go with you. But every one of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. Verse 5. So he brought the people down to the water. And then God does something completely unconventional. This is not how I would pick soldiers. <laughs> I mean, God, have you ever fought a battle? It's a wonder Gideon didn't go back into a discourse here, right? The Lord said to him, put everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps in one group, right? So picture, like if you hadn't had water in days in the desert and you come upon a pool of water, you're like, <laughs> right? We see it in the movies. That's what you'd do if you were severely dehydrated, right? And then he says, but everyone who kneels down to drink and laps the water with his hand, keep those. I got to asking myself, that's kind of weird. Only 300 people. But I was like, I was thinking about this. Sometimes in the text, you got to read behind it and in between it. That's, that's what we teach our students to do. So, when you're like this, you're in a posture to fight. Your head's up, your eyes are up, you're looking around, you're ready, you're prepared, right? You're not drinking desperately. You're just like, and I think God was using that to show Gideon, this is the way that we're going to win. This is the way that you're going to win. But it's not going to be your way. It's not going to be done how you thought it's going to be done. And so as the story comes to a close, verse, chapter 7, verse 16, after he divided the 300 men into three companies, then God does something even more bizarre. He gives them trumpets. <laughs> I'll be like, okay, God. You whittled my army down from 32,000 people to 300. I'm expecting not manna to fall from heaven, but swords. 
and shields and bows and arrows. Right? No. Trumpets and empty jars with torches in them. That's our God. That's, that's, he has a way for us to be victorious. But it's nothing the way that we think it is. But when, <laughs> you know, when my wife of 30 years said, I'm just done and walked away. Two weeks before that, my dad dies suddenly of a massive widow-maker arterial episode. I, I thought it was over. What do you do? God, I'm like Gideon. I failed. I, I must have taken my eye off my marriage. I don't know. I don't, I know people make choices, but I'm going to take responsibility for it. You know, I have to, I have to, I have to look at myself, you know, what could I have done differently? What could I do better the next time around? One of your parents dies. I know we've all suffered loss, right? But two sudden losses, it's like, I'm not going to make it. I'm just not going to make it. You know, dad was like an anchor. And I, I don't, if you've lost a parent, and, and w many have, and we all will, right? It's like an anchor that falls off the ship. There's just no, I can't, it's the only words I can describe it by. And suddenly, I felt like Gideon. I just can't do, I can't do God's work anymore. I can't do it. I failed. I'm alone. The one who I looked to to help guide me, gone. Just within a couple hours. Just suddenly. God, God gives us clay pots and torches. And he says at the end of the story, encamp around the Midianites. Hold up those torches and smash those clay pots on the ground and declare this victory for the Lord your God. And when all the Midianites see these torches and the sound of these crashing clay pots, they get all disoriented, scattered, and they end up taking themselves out. And the story that begun under an oak tree with a young, feeling insignificant and unworthy young man. Could have easily been a young woman. Doesn't matter. God will use us all. But you know, you can't win if you don't play the game. You can't see the victory if you don't learn how to trust God. When all looks like it's over, and that's how Gideon and the people felt. It's over. One of my most trusted mentors, I've had so many great people help, help me through this 
these last few years. Pastor Keith, Pastor Reed, they've been an enduring support in my life. Others around, other pastors around the country, best friends in Chillicothe, Ohio that are watching today online, I hope. But another dear mentor of mine, every, every once in a while, it's like he knows. He sends me a text message. Michael, God's got you. Do you hear that? God's got you too. He's got us. He's already got the battle plan. And it's nothing like what we think it's going to be. But we got to trust him for it. And we got to do our part. And we got to take those steps. I love each and every one of you. I don't know what you're going through. I really don't. But I can guess. Because you're human like me. And like every other human. And like Gideon. That's why I love God's word. I love teaching it. Because it's us. It's us. It's God's story of trying to reclaim his image in us and to have his work done here on earth so that other people who are like Gideon, lost and afraid and feeling insignificant and that they could know, not even begin to do God's work, that there's hope. And we all know people, I met some of them this weekend, who, who were lifted up by others who had walked this journey. So God's got us, my friends. Our best days are ahead. Recently heard um, someone that I got to hang out with quite a bit back in my Billy Graham days, Kirk Franklin. He was interviewed on, on the national news, and Kirk, you got to know Kirk, man. He's... He's wired for sound. I mean, this guy is just full of Jesus, and I just love him to death. And he's only about this tall. I mean, but he's a powerhouse. And he, and he said, what's in front of you is so much bigger than what's behind you. And when I heard that, I just wept. Watching the Today Show, there's just, just tears, just, just wept. What is, what is ahead of us so much bigger than what's behind us? You are a mighty warrior, each and every one of you. Don't forget it. Well, thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages. And if you like what you're hearing, consider rating it and even sharing it with your friends. It helps so much. You know, you can click the share button, take a screenshot and share it on your social stories and tag us at Celebrate Church. For more content from Celebrate and to connect with us, go to celebrate.church. We love you and we believe in you. God bless.